Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Digitally Uploaded Podcast, the official podcast for digitallydownloaded.net. I'm Matt Sainsbury, editor-in-chief of digitallydownloaded.net, and with me this week, we've got two people. We've got Trent. Hello, Trent. Hello. And we've got Lee. Hello, Lee. Hello, hello. You're becoming a bit of a regular here. I am indeed. <laughs> you must like us that much. <laughs> um <laughs> Jumping straight into things, there's actually been a fair bit of news this week, which has been pretty cool. Um, I guess things are starting to ramp up after Christmas and stuff. Um, I guess for me, the pick of the week, the news of the week is all about PCube. PCube is a publisher based out of England, and they do a whole lot of ultra niche Japanese stuff, as I'm sure plenty of people that listen to the podcast know. Um, they celebrated their 10-year anniversary in operation this year, which is pretty cool. That's a heck of an achievement. It's um it, i guess it's impressive to survive 10 years in anything to do with games these days uh let alone publishing games which may or may not have much commercial appeal but pcube's managed to do it and do it pretty damn well so um yeah and on top of that pcube has announced that they are branching away from just publishing other developers games and they're actually financing and developing one of their own so um we don't know anything about that except for a single screenshot at this stage but no, in PQ, but it'd be pretty good. They're working with a Japanese developer that has a long heritage, and it's going to be a visual novel, which is pretty damn cool. I'm very excited for this. Um, Lee, what about you? What's your pick of the news of the week? Well, you know me. I'm, uh, I'm about that smash life at the moment, um, and 2.0 was kind of a big deal, but as far as the minor changes, really not. The biggest thing, of course, was uh, Piranha Plants release. Um, met with kind of lukewarm reception. He's about middle, somewhere comfortably middle top tier, if anybody cares about that. But um, he's fun. He's, he's dorky. <laughs> um, he, he automatically attacks if you jump on him while you're crouching, which is a nice little touch. Throwback to the, to the game. I mean, to, the, to his origin. Um, and Genesis 6 is going on at the moment with like 2,000 plus entrants. Um, some really, uh, really interesting matches to watch. But uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, about it. For me, what's what's Genesis Six? I, I have it, no idea about. Them, it's a it's Smash another fighting thing. tournament, right? I, I don't know if it does more than Smash, does it? I have I'm no idea. Sure. I, I'm really I, not into. I, competitive I don't know. Games. I really wasn't. I wasn't that into the loop in, until recently, so I don't. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's it's a big deal in the Smash community. So, I see. I see. I see. Yeah, I have no idea how piranha plant works i mean how does he move uh, this is the thing that's really confusing me he's in a pot how does he move this this is it's his his mind. animation he sort of sprouts little legs tiny little nubs <laughs> that come out of the bottom of the plant and he kind of just like propels it, his uh his recovery move he sort of turns into like a plant plant helicopter and <laughs> you can like catch people in your in your propeller and fly them off stage it's, it's funny he's a comical character to play so he's basically Game and Watch, but like a plant. no, no. He's well, no, no. Game and Game and Watch is is his, his own like blend of comedy. Um, Piranha Plant, yeah, he's he's goofy. Um, he's he's got a lot of tricks up his sleeve, like you know, poison and the 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 spike ball. And everybody was going wild about how he looks. Uh, he looks so disappointed if you try and do the spike ball again. And he doesn't have it. He just gets like this frown on his face and looks so dejected. <laughs> um, and and of course, the best part about him is his victory screen. One of his victory screens where Mario attempts to jump on him and he snaps at him. Yeah, that was clever. <laughs> cool. No, that's good. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that was obviously something that people were looking forward to in the lead up to Smash because Nintendo was, you know, that was the big reason to pre-order the thing, right? Um, you you get that guy uh, as the sort of that in the premium. The Ah, yes, yes, that's true. That's all. But anyway, that was something that people who were buying the game early were looking forward to. It's good that Nintendo delivered. Now we can move on to the DLC characters. Please give me Chocobo. Just, you know. <laughs> Agreed. Just if you're listening, Nintendo, you know, I've been waiting. Piranha Plant's cool and all, but Chocobo's a better fit. Just do it. Um, I'm more anyway. waiting for the currently announced one. Like, where is my Joker? Why isn't it out yet? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He'll probably come about the same time that Persona Five comes to the Switch, which is actually never. That was all just a trick, just to just to disappoint you, Trent. Um, Side note: I uh, I hear I hear word that uh, the Prince of All Cosmos might be uh, a Smash character from Katamari. Uh, that would be cool. See, <laughs> It'd be that, crazy. 
That'd be great. <laughs> uh, Trent, what about you? What's your pick of the news of the week? My news is going to be boring. I'm going to go over financial results, which Nintendo released. And uh, on the topic of Smash Bros, apparently it's sold really, really well and is uh, really has a really high sell-through compared to pretty much any other game ever um, in like the first few weeks. It's selling really, really much in terms of adaption, so that's pretty cool. Um, but other than that, um, you know, apparently the Switch is not meeting financial um, expectations. Um, they had to scale back their expected, um, you know, revenue this year. Uh, but that still doesn't mean it's not interesting because the Switch is actually so close to beating Nintendo 64 in terms of worldwide sales. Um, if it just pushes a little bit more, um, so the 64 is on 32.93 sold, um, and then the Switch is on the 32.27 million sold. Uh, from the latest financial records. So it's so close to beating up the 64 and it, everyone would play the 64, right? So it's up there, I guess. <laughs> You're talking units, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, the Switch is on track. I think it's I think it's tracking just behind um, the Wii for the same time frame. I think uh, it's ahead of what was the next one? PlayStation 2, I want to say, is the next was the next uh, fastest selling console for this yeah year. but playstation 2 was it before the Wii. yeah so yeah, so, um, yeah it, it's certainly right up there i think the expectations by a lot of people is over its lifetime it won't quite meet the Wii. um but that doesn't necessarily mean it's it's uh it, not a roaring success because obviously it has been and nintendo's certainly doing a good job with this it'll be interesting to see how they can if they can continue that momentum because obviously smash brothers was a big booster for the console um i think they will in the lead they're being smart about the releases what they've got next who knows i mean they've kind of run, tapped out their their major major franchises they've done um zelda mario and now smash brothers and also mario kart so and metro yeah, is shelved for now yeah metro shelved it's it's on the burner back burner so this year is going to be an interesting have? one i mean they've got a lot of stuff coming um fire emblem will be the big release for the switch this year but fire emblem's more a game for people who are existing fans of nintendo and fire yeah that emblem. doesn't get me terribly it's excited not, it's not something that shifts consoles as such um it, it's great it's going to be great it'll be my probably my game of the year every bloody fire emblem game is my game of the year but um yeah, this this that one won't shift consoles. Um, likewise, if Animal Crossing happens this year, which it might, would it sell sh consoles? I'm not sure. Um, I don't know if many people would buy a Switch because of Animal Crossing. It'll I, I feel like well, the base but... is already owners of the Switch. Yeah, um... it's it's a it's another one of those properties that's <clears throat> kind of a, a for Nintendo fans property first, and uh, not a huge audience outside of that so yeah it's it's going to be interesting um who knows maybe maybe nintendo will do the right thing and um port uh the fatal frame game or the project zero game well they've got pokemon this year so they're fine oh, yeah. pokemon. <laughs> pokemon will sell probably some copies um and they've, they've got a couple of wii u games they can still tap into maybe we'll get mario maker this year because they just need to oh, I hope so. something out there that'd be good that was great on the wii u it was terrible oh, on the yeah. 3ds well, the expectation is also that the Switch will get a, um, you know, a slimline version is the current um, rumor, like a smaller version is, is the current rumor, I guess, for that. Didn't so, Reggie? Yeah. I Reggie already said that's not happening. <laughs> there, there's, there, there still seems to be strong, you know, rumors about, you know, there's a hardware, you know, update coming at some point and... You know, it, it's probably going to happen. And Reggie says things happen all that don't happen all the time, and turns out they happen. Or he's going to do something like Mother Free, and it never happens. Don't believe Reggie. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note, we'll go to some music. We've got some Hatsune Miku music lined up. I'm not sure what song yet. It'll happen. Uh, it'll be one of the good ones. And we'll come back and we'll talk about um, what we talk about. We'll talk about roguelikes first up this week.
And welcome back, everybody. So, the roguelike. Uh, both Trent and I have been playing um, a new roguelike that was released last week. We've been playing it pretty heavily. It's called Genesis Alpha 1. It's on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, PC, I think. I'm pretty sure PC as well. Um, and I think Trent and I both agree on this one. It's a pretty damn good game, actually. Um, it's basically like FTL, the classic, I guess, indie roguelike uh, about oh, really? traveling through space. Yeah, traveling through space, building up a ship as you travel along, um, getting new crew members, visiting planets, uh, taking risks by exploring places with, you know, and uh, all the all the dangers, facing down all the dangers of outer space. Uh, so it's got all of that stuff. It's got the shipbuilding mechanics in there. Uh, the difference is that this one actually plays out from first-person perspective as well. So when you're on your ship, um, it's basically a first-person shooter and aliens invade and you shoot them down. Uh, you go on away missions to planets and kill more aliens while collecting resources and all that kind of stuff. And it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really good blend of shooter and roguelike. And it's uh, as difficult as you'd expect a roguelike to be um, and about as rewarding, really, as one of the better ones. So I'm, I was really impressed with it, actually. I didn't go in with particularly any great expectations, but came away very impressed indeed. Um, I think you're pretty much the same, aren't you, Trent? Yeah, like I, I definitely um, looked at it and, you know, definitely didn't think it was a game I'd be interested in when I first saw, you know, the material and was just like, oh, well, it looks a bit cool, but, you know, I probably really don't want to play it, like, sort of thing. But then you're like, no, you're playing it. <laughs> and I actually was quite surprised about the whole game. And, yeah, I, I really fell in love with, you know, how, how it works. Like, just, you know, in, in terms of gameplay, like, it's definitely fresh. Like, roguelikes are definitely, like, everywhere now. But, like, it's definitely an interesting twist on, you know, what Faster Than Life did. Um, uh, Faster Than Light, sorry, not Life. <laughs> um, and, and you know, what a few other games in this um, genre have done with, like, you know, you build a ship and you do whatever. Like, it's definitely taken that spin and sort of made it its own. And, yeah, I was presently surprised. Yeah, I'm glad absolutely. you point that out because uh, when I just looked at the uh, the game, not like a gameplay trailer, but I was looking at screenshots and I was like, oh, it's a shooter. And then you guys are like, oh, well, it's it's kind of a shooter, but it's got these roguelike elements. And I didn't think I was going to be interested at first because, like, that was my first impression. I was like, I probably wouldn't get into this, but I'm, I actually might check it out. I'm a little sold on it. Yeah, yeah, I was much the same. I mean, uh, as anybody who knows me knows, I'm not a huge fan of shooters at the best of times. But um, this one, and like you said, when I first saw it in action or sort of the screenshots anyway, I thought it was going to be uh, heavily shooter influenced one but actually the simulation side of stuff the shipbuilding stuff uh the resource collecting the exploration of space stuff um all of that is definitely the core of the game and the shooting is just i guess atmospheric more than anything else because it's much more um i guess intense and immediate that you're facing down the aliens through first person perspective as opposed to ftl or one of those other more abstract games where you're kind of looking at you know, the ship from from above from an isometric standpoint so yeah very very impressed with that one um but yeah playing that i was also i'm also playing through another roguelike at the moment um on the switch it's called city of brass this is an australian developed one uh, it's a first person sh action uh roguelike that's set in the arabian nights kind of fantasy so you, you're exploring the city of brass which is a location from arabian nights there's sand everywhere there's kind of genies and magic and all that kind of stuff which really appeals to me because i'm a big fan of arabian nights uh, i really love the game on the ps4 enjoying playing it on the switch which hopefully isn't breaking embargo to say but uh yeah that's that's another review to look forward to and that's kind of why i wanted to talk about roguelikes this week because just about everything seems to be a roguelike these days. Uh, developers seem to have latched onto that term, especially in the indie space, um, in a very dramatic way. It's almost like uh, where the AAA development is all about open worlds and games as a service and other crap like that. Um, the indie space is all about roguelikes and finding some way to call your game a roguelike. So I wanted to talk about that because I don't think a lot of games that are called roguelikes are really roguelike at all. Um, Here's, I'm sorry to interrupt real quick. Um, that's right. I, 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 we're sort of phrasing this in a way that makes it sound like it was their intent 
deliberately to sound like, hey, this is a roguelike game. And sure, if they put that in their in their description, obviously they're doing that, but it could be an after the fact thing. And no, I, no, a lot of, in a lot of cases, like these things I'm talking about, actual press releases landing in my inbox saying this is, you know, roguelike elements, rogue light elements, rogue yeah. you know, elements. And it it, it, it's just basically if it, it seems to be indies, a lot of indies seem to think that as long as the game has randomly generated levels, it must therefore be a roguelike, which I would contest. Um, I actually think the opposite has happened with Genesis. I feel like uh, a lot of the marketing seems more focused on the fact that you can shoot things. <laughs> like, um, I, I feel like the roguelike um, elements sort of, yeah, it's mentioned, but I don't feel like it's um, as heavily um, suggested as, you know, so I feel like there's, you know, games which are doing the opposite as well, like so it's picking something in the game which, you know, would obviously sell to a more broader market, like say, you know, you can shoot things and, you know, there's a little bit more strategy, there's a little bit more, you know, complex nature there. You know why I think that is? I, I think that we're currently, like with the, the number of games that have these roguelike elements to them, I think we're coming to a point where it's sort of an industry standard as far as replayability goes. Because the, we, we all know what the roguelike element is and what, what the definition is, is like procedural generation, chance of death, that, that threat, that constant threat that you could lose progress if you die, that keeps you on the edge of your seat and the randomness keeps, keeps it fresh. Um, and those are two elements of gameplay that just, if they're gone, they're, uh, it gets stale a lot faster. Yeah, and that's definitely a thing. I think that uh, a lot of indies uh, use roguelike or roguelike light or whatever you want to call them, elements, in order to create that replay value um, perception in the players that, you know, functionally these games are, are unlimited. You can just keep replaying them and every time it's a different experience and all that kind of stuff, which has a certain appeal to it, I know. Uh, I was a, you know, I, I discovered roguelikes through Rogue and Mystery Dungeon way back in the day um, when they weren't so common. And the reason that I was so uh, attracted to them was because of that very idea that they are functionally unlimited games. But I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of indies also use them these days because they're relatively easy to implement. I think there's probably a lot of examples out there that indies can draw on to make their own roguelikes and it saves them the effort of actually having to come up with a level um, or level design. You know, it, it saves them a lot of effort in creativity that would otherwise be necessary. And this isn't to rag on Genesis Alpha One or City of Brass or any of the, the other roguelikes I really like, but I do get a sense with a, a lot of them as well that the random element is there simply because these developers couldn't be bothered coming up with decent level design. <laughs> yeah, um, you, you're you're right, and I think the at least the most recent example that I've encountered was Moonlighter. If you guys played that, um, it's sort of like a dual game where you, you run the shop and then you go into the into the dungeon, and the dungeon is procedurally generated. Um, but I felt like even though it was procedurally generated, it still felt kind of the same because the levels. Between between themselves, the enemies, etc., like the layouts, it just wasn't all that different. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely a case. Uh, I think if a rogue like is not particularly well designed, they don't have much variation in terms of the way the levels look and feel. And because of that, ironically enough, I think given what the developers probably wanted to achieve. Uh, the, there's less incentive to replay those games because there's just nothing interesting to look at as you're playing. Um, they they just become very. I hate using this word because it's it, it it's kind of the wrong word, but for lack of a better word, they become very repetitive, um, and that becomes tiring and draining. And a bad bad rogue like of which there are far too many, unfortunately, are exhausting experiences. I find, especially when they're also hard. I think. Yeah, not rewarding for the for the time you're putting in. Exactly. I mean, a, a good roguelike should be very difficult. I do think that the genre suits difficulty because it is about that making incremental improvement by replaying the game over and over again. So I, I've got no problem with that. Um, but if there's no sense of reward for what you're doing uh, and you don't get a sense that you're still getting better at the game, you're still progressing in some way, it, it becomes very grindy. Um, but it's interesting to see uh, 
the genre applied in interesting ways as well. I don't know if you guys played a game from last year, which I absolutely love. It was probably kind of one of my highlights of the year. It's called Bad North. No. Okay, so Bad North is a kind of mini tactical um, real-time strategy game where each level is kind of on an island and you've got a couple of units and you need to defend that island from invading hordes of Vikings. And those um, those levels are all procedurally generated and the structure of the game is you can pick which island to go next um, and that all is procedurally generated as well. It is a fu functionally a kind of strategy roguelike game and that was certainly a really good example of how developers are using can use the roguelike structure in an interesting way i highly recommend everybody it also helps around. the game is pretty like good looking <laughs> like, oh, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's a gorgeous example of um minimalism done well it's it's a really good example of how indies can do something that is really compelling um it's just unfortunate for that game it came out at the same time as into the breach which is another roguelike which just um rolled over everyone i think that was that was the highlight of a lot of people's years that game yeah you know i hear people that have played it say it was great and i just look at it and i'm like hey i'm not i'm not feeling it i didn't get quite as hooked to it as i did to bad north i must admit i played bad north i think this on, on my switch says it's like over 100 hours of bad north actually uh, i really love that one uh, i haven't played into the bridge anywhere near as much but i can certainly see where it's coming from it's like a it's like advanced wars meets a puzzle game um meets a roguelike because again procedural generation from one level to the next and it works a little bit like advanced wars but it's more about positioning the units and that kind of puzzle kind of experience so yeah that it, i'm glad to, was, i'm glad to hear about that because that's that's innovation um I, as far as like the standard roguelike though i feel like the bar has kind of been set a little well years ago i mean it, probably can guess I'm about to bring up Binding of Isaac, the hundreds of hours that I've put into it. But it's because every time I play it, there's something new. And it surprises me every time that, that this game can still throw something new at me that I've never seen before. There's still so much to unlock. Um, and it's still fun. Like the gameplay itself holds well on its own. That's the, that's got to be the core of the of the roguelike experience. Not the actual like roguelike elements, but the gameplay itself has to be good as well. Yeah, for some reason, I've never quite been able to get into Binding of Isaac and its billions of games that it's inspired, like Into the Gungeon and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know why. I can see that it's a well-made game, and I can certainly appreciate that a lot of people have really enjoyed it over the years, including quite a few people on the DDNet team, not just yourself. Um, Alan, when he's listening through to this and editing the podcast, is going to be absolutely <laughs> furious that we talked about Isaac with him not around. Um I quite enjoyed Isaac. I just, yeah, for, for me, the roguelike is more from Rogue itself and uh, Mystery Dungeon for me is the kind of the standard. And I enjoy games that kind of break away from that if they're done well, of course. But yeah, for me, I, I think that kind of turn-based um, dungeon crawler is is where I come from. With the sword of the like stars it. the pit i think i feel like we talked about that last week too we i think probably, i might have brought that up. <laughs> we probably did uh <laughs> dwarf, dwarf fortress i know i definitely mentioned that last week uh and those kinds of games are, are for me where roguelikes come from um but what about you trent for you what is what kind of traits does a good roguelike have well, well, I definitely, I definitely like ones where you know, as you were saying earlier, the, with difficulty, you know, roguelikes, you know, lend themselves to hard games. But I'm a kind of person which, you know, time doesn't really, you know, believe in me anymore. And if a game takes like, you know, five hours to like feel like I've got progress, or only to have it stripped away, or you know, long games in general from like other genres, like if they take like sixty hours to like complete, like. You know, I just don't have the time to do a lot of those games. So a, a good roguelike would have to um, have the balance where a difficulty, yes, it needs to be a little bit challenging. It needs to be a little bit hard to obviously want to go back, but it also needs to be rewarding and, you know, at the point where, you know, I do feel like I've made progress. Like, uh, I feel like in Genesis, like, I know that's a recent example, but, you know, it actually did that quite well. Like every time I died, I or cancelled the game myself and started from scratch. I didn't feel like I was, you know, 
been beaten down by the game. I actually felt like, yes, I was making progress with the game. I was understanding the game a little bit more. I was making, you know, strides in terms of, you know, okay, well, this time I'll do this and it will give me this outcome. Like I was making that progress. So a good roguelike will need to obviously do that because, you know, if I sit, you know, sit down for like two hours and, and suddenly, like I had games in general which do this, like, you know, ones which maybe have no save points or anything and it's like well two hours later you know you've missed like you know and you die and then you've got like half an hour to an hour gone because that was the last save point like i just you know need to have that progress and yeah a good roguelike will need to obviously do that (laughs) i think a good roguelike that respects the player's time is ftl is a really good example of that um you can play through ftl in about three or four hours, I want to say, you can get right through to the end of the game uh, and probably lose to the boss because that end boss is just impossible to defeat. But yeah, that first time, <laughs> you're not prepared. Yeah, you just got no chance. But um, yeah, it, it's quite quick. And then the the replay value of the game is in just how much random stuff happens as you play each time through. So yeah, I, I think um, FDL is a really good example of that. Uh, on that note, We've run over time. We'll go to some music. We'll listen to something from a good roguelike. Um, well, we'll pick a music for, I don't know, we'll use something from City of Brass. If I can find something from City of Brass, we'll use that because that's got a good soundtrack. Okay, we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Welcome back, everybody. Okie dokie. So we're going to talk about the eShop this week because it annoys me. <laughs> it annoys me so much. We're talking about the Nintendo eShop, of course. Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but if you log on to your Nintendo eShop each week uh, and log in at the start of the week when the releases of the week haven't come out and then log in at the end of the week when the releases of the week have come out, you can't see anything anymore because there's just a, an unending flood of new games released on the Switch each week. And I want to start this discussion by simply saying I think Nintendo really needs to work on the discoverability in that uh, platform because 
when you're seeing new games drop off the new releases list within a week, um, it's good for Nintendo because there's a lot of games obviously being released on it, but it's uh, long-term quite bad for the developers because it means that a lot of really good games are going missing. And I know a lot of people, I speak to a lot of people who don't check the eShop every every week and uh, they have no idea what's coming out on that console. Um, I feel like it's a pretty simple fix, to be honest. All they got to do is put a genre tab up at the top of recent releases. That would, yeah, that's that would help. Yeah, that would be... curated lists, like, you know, like... They have a curated list, though, that's yeah. been featured. But I think... They do have a, yeah, they have that, that new tab. Well, the tab that they introduced, I think it was at the start of the year, the... Um, what's it called? Um, Discover or something, isn't it? And it's like it's different it's between regions, but I think, yeah, yours is Discovery, Discovery or something, and mine's featured. Yeah, yeah, that one, which is where the Nintendo kind of picks, I guess, um, one or two good games from particular genres that they want to highlight or have whatever going on. That's that's fine. Um, but yeah, that new releases section, and to be fair, a lot of this stuff uh, that is new releases does deserve to drop off the front page pretty much immediately because there's an awful lot of really bad stuff coming out on the switch, unfortunately, but there's a lot of really good stuff that is, I, I, I do think is going missed. Um, and it's kind of getting to the point where even the sales, which is usually a good chance to get a new hit of discover, you know, discoverability for a game. Even the sales tab is just overloaded with a whole lot of stuff that's getting sales each week and it's, it's, it's just, just overloaded with decoration yeah yeah it's just it's just a mess to wade through and it it kind of annoys me because when the switch first came out all of that stuff worked but there was only three or four or five games being released each week now you've got upwards of 25 or so and it's yeah it's just frustrating to navigate and slow very slow what if they uh put a separate tab for ports <laughs> I don't know. Great. I don't know how well that would uh, that would that would work. I mean, it would it would <laughs> solve a lot of issues. But <laughs> yeah, that that would work. I mean, the other thing that like Nintendo could do is fix the news section of the console because there's a good opportunity there to have news feeds and, and whatever, and um, I guess take the data of what people are buying and then feed them up news about games that would be of interest to them. But at the moment, it just seems to be a jumble of random stuff that thrown up there and i don't know anybody that really checks the news section which is if you have multiple uh, reaches accounts it sort of I'm becomes like five that... different articles about the same thing one in japanese one from europe and one from america it's just like oh great well no what what bothers me is they don't tell you what region it's for until the very end so like over uh the holidays like towards the end of the year i was i was just looking at these these deals that uh were going on in which one was it, it was uh, europe and that was when I was looking for like ways. How can I can I get some some cards? Because um, <laughs> yeah. I saw what was it? Um, another roguelike, the musical one. Uh, uh, oh, Crypt of the Necrodancer. Crypt of the Necrodancer was like a dollar, and I was I went, and then I look at the bottom and it says this is for uh, accounts in Europe. I'm like, okay, so I click on it. Yeah, and it boots me back out. I was like, no, I wanted this. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty obvious when it's the Japanese store speeding up the news because <laughs> the um, the news is in Japanese. That makes it nice and easy. But you're right. Uh, definitely, I see news that might be of interest to me from time to time, but it comes from the American account. And yeah, it's just... Uh, um, it's, while we're on the, uh, the the topic of um, buggy software, which is, I guess that's not really a bug, um, but I would like to point out how odd I think it is that tabbing between like recent releases featured or whatever it's called for, for the other regions is really slow, like weirdly slow. And I say weirdly because the, the um, switch overlay, uh, overlay, whatever it's called, the, so the behind the scenes software, the operating system, that's what I mean, is so fast and snapshots go really easy. It doesn't matter what game, what, where you're at in a game, you can always pop out of it with the home screen. I don't know why it's, it's so slow. Well, I think if you use Nintendo's website itself, as in the World Wide Web, www.nintendo.com or whatever it is, that website loads ridiculously slow as well. So I think it's just uh. Nintendo servers are not up, either not up to the task of how much traffic they get, or Nintendo doesn't know how to maintain its servers, or I don't know what it is. But the question yeah, has the eShop gone slower since Smash Brothers release? <laughs> I don't think so. I, I haven't noticed that, but. I haven't I do find it to be a very slow, painful, 
process to navigate and it's not a good thing to be unfavorably comparable to the PlayStation 4's online store because the PlayStation 4's online store is not great in itself um, and discoverability on that console has its own issues but yeah it's just not a pleasant experience to be shopping on the Switch eStore and that's a pity because a lot of the great games that are coming out on Switch are digital only um, like for example well just looking at the recent releases right now Thea the Awakenings at the very top of mine and that's a great game um, a really great game but mm -hmm. It's digital only. And I think a lot of people are already giving up on the Switch's digital side of things because it's, yeah, it's just not an easy way of shopping for games. There still seems to be statistics which suggest that indie developers, you know, when it comes to the Nintendo Switch, they're getting the most sales, the most people are looking at. So it's still working somehow. But something's yeah, going yeah, wrong for general viewable. There are people, there are obviously a lot of people that are buying games on the eShop and, and all that kind of stuff. But it is a percentage of the audience rather than the majority of the audience. I would suggest that if you look at the PlayStation uh, audience, the numbers of people actually using the PlayStation Network store in one way or another, whether it's just for PS Plus or it's for whatever, um, is higher. And Sony's done a good job in encouraging people to to jump on and make sure that they're using that store. I mean, one of the things that's really interesting, for example, is the way that those subscription services work. I mean, Nintendo's one, once you've signed up for the thing, you never need to go back into the shop again. Um, the games are actually in a dedicated app separate to the shop, and you don't need to download them. They're just there when you load the, load the app up. Uh, whereas with PlayStation Plus, the free games, free in inverted commas, because they're just part of the subscription, they're not free at all. But to get those, you actually have to go into the PlayStation Store to download them, which is, for me, that's a better way of encouraging people to use the, the store in the first place because they're there. Um, once they're there, you've got a chance to show them other stuff and, and get them to try some of those games that aren't released at retail. So the question is, does the PlayStation have more, uh, how much storage space does it come with, like, naturally? Uh, the PlayStation Pro that I've got has one terabyte, but the... I have 500 in mine. I'm an original a PlayStation. The, the console's now expandable because you can attach external storage to it. So I've got an eight terabyte hard drive sitting there um, full of games. Eight right. terabytes, and the, and the eight port terabytes port of port games port. is a lot of games. <laughs> yeah, it's um, a lot. <laughs> I'm but, looking for the Switch. Uh, how much does this the Switch? Come? The Switch has 32 gigabytes built into it. Um, okay. And you can expand that using micro SD cards, which I do. I'm yeah, about this way with the PlayStation 4, I was the one saying, oh, no, you don't need to have, like, external hard disk. You're fine. And in the course of doing stuff with digitallydownload.net, now I've got, like, an external hard disk for my PlayStation because I'm like, oh, now I'm, like, deleting or moving or getting rid of games which I've got saved. I'm just like, oh, no. Yeah, I mean, the game's journalist life is such and so it means that we end up with, with more games that we can possibly play, really, um, and they all just kind of sit on hard drives. But, yeah, the, the point is, yes, you're, you're right. It, it, there is less built-in memory to the Switch, um, which in itself is a barrier, I guess, to, to getting people to buy it. But Nintendo's done a good job making that as expandable as possible because it's really easy to switch between uh, micro SD cards. It's really no more complex than switching between game cards. And... They are just micro SD cards. You can buy those anywhere. It's not like the PlayStation Vita had its proprietary memory storage um, or the 3DS. You had to actually physically unscrew the whole console to switch memory cards around, which was just nuts. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Nintendo's done what it needed to from a hardware point of view to make this, the shop something that people would want to use. It's just the experience of the shop itself, which is just terrible. I have the, the the sneaking suspicion they didn't expect it to be this. Um, maybe maybe they expected the popularity, but they might not have expected it to be so inundated with uh, such uh, high space taking up games. I know I worded that <laughs> kind of weird, but <laughs> but I was just looking like Thea itself is almost a gig, so that's not, that's not too bad. But what was what was the one? Um, uh, it was the detective game. By Rock, Rockstar. Oh, Elaine Noir. 
Yeah, Alien Noir, where it it actually says like in the shops the shop's description, it's like you're gonna have to buy a card for this because it's like ninety gigs or something crazy. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, which is which is funny. Yeah, but I, I don't think I've actually had a Switch game more than twenty gigabytes. I want to say. Oh, actually, no. I think Hyrule Hyrule Warriors Complete Edition Bonanza, whatever it's called. I think that was about. 23 gigabyte or thereabouts i think that's about the biggest one i've got um but yeah I, I think people nintendo should probably bundle some sd cards into some of these consoles to yeah for sure highlight to people highlight to people that hey you can um you can actually expand on the internal memory in the, the console i think um i think nintendo's tried to do something a little bit because you can actually if you i, I don't know about in america but in australia if you go into the eb games you can buy SD cards that actually have Nintendo licensing on them. Um, so the package itself has like a Breath of the Wild uh, art across it. So Nintendo obviously did a partnership with, I think it's SanDisk, to have licensed memory cards. But Not that just they do the anything. Prices, it's like uh, the SanDisk normal, like 128 gig. If you get that on special, you can get it down to like $32 Australia. Like they go pretty cheap, even with the same class, etc. If you look at the Nintendo ones, what are they like fifty, like if not more, like a hundred? Yeah, like, but supposedly expensive. you're supposed no, to. No, they're use they're the high they are the high grade high grade ones, Trent. Um, I'd, <laughs> without trying to get too technical, memory cards actually have different grades uh, of speed, read write, and uh, for consoles, you generally want the faster ones because that's a lot of data that gets moved into and out of the game as you play it. Uh, the the ones that Nintendo you buy with the Nintendo licensing on it are, are the highest grade, uh, the fastest memory cards. Yeah, but what I mean is like the fastest ones, non Nintendo brands, still get like more sales, still get more like they they go come pretty cheap at times. Like whereas the Nintendo ones are still oh Nintendo branded, I need this for my console, and then it's like a twenty percent markup or something. Yeah, in fairness, I did get a, a one hundred twenty eight gig. It was not unofficial, but I think it was a Sandisk. And you did just did you? Are you sure that they partnered with Sandisk? That was that sound. That sounds right. But I haven't had any issues. Supposedly, it's I don't know. There was supposed to be like some kind of memory corruption or something. I don't know. I haven't I haven't experienced anything like that. I mean, it's not, most it's of my games are downloaded. I mean, it's not it's not that they're they're poor quality ones. Uh, the the non officially licensed ones. It's just a bit of branding, really. It's just a, it's just the Breath of the Wild art on the front, and it's otherwise it's exactly the same memory card that you'd buy off the shelf in any other store. Um, well, how about we get uh, Breath so, of the Wild art on like a like a case, but something <laughs> on a memory card? <laughs> yeah, know. yeah. So yeah, I I, well, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> completely lost my train of thought but i i think the point was that nintendo's done a little bit to to try and encourage people i guess to buy these memory cards so they can expand the memory of their switches but i think probably bundling is a good idea uh and making the e-shop a better experience so that people actually want to use it would be good because yeah like i said earlier there's an awful lot of really great stuff on the switch e-shop that a lot of people otherwise wouldn't play because it's not on boxes on the retail shelf people should just do what us journalists do which is like follow people on twitter follow most like like mostly indie developers follow mostly artists and then you see other artists tweeting other people's work and then you slowly get a progress where you slowly see other works on twitter and then suddenly realize oh well this person's doing this interesting game that sounds cool like that's how i like i, I saw stuff for the stillness of will win like a few weeks back i'm like oh that's cool uh, but it's because I was following the like a developer which was liking an artist which was doing all this and then it was on my feed. Like that's I feel like the only way to discover new games is through Twitter. <laughs> yeah, Twitter's actually pretty good for that. Um on that note, we're gonna go to some music from well let's do let's use some music from Thea because we talked about that in the section and Thea's got some really good music as well. Yeah. Well, be back after that to talk about um funnily enough to talk about a switch game that isn't available at retail so you have to grab it off the eShop, but it'll be worth it and you'll find out why after this music
Welcome back, everybody. So for the final section of the podcast, we are going to talk about a new game that has been turning heads or people have been looking forward to for quite a while, and it is finally out, and it is delivering on everything that everybody ever wanted from it. That game is War Groove. War Groove. It's by Chucklefish, which is a particularly talented little indie developer. And War Groove is basically um, Advance Wars, but set in a kind of fire emblem like fantasy world of you know magic and knights and stuff and yeah it's people are really looking forward to it or people have been really enjoyed it i guess because uh nintendo's basically dumped advance wars and hasn't done a new one for a long time and now people are getting that action back in a game that is of you know equal quality because there's been a couple of advance wars likes that have been released over the years uh, tiny metal was released i think two years ago on the switch um i just reviewed one earlier this week mecha wars which was also released on the switch recently uh and those games are decent enough fun but i i think wargroove takes it to another level and really understands what people loved about advanced wars um and really ran with it and it's great it's really really great and the other thing is, in addition to the campaign mode, you can actually, it, it's got one of the most comprehensive um, creator modes that I've come across um, in that you can not just create new levels to share online and play, but you can actually create entire campaigns, which is pretty cool. No, dude, yeah, I am about pretty that. Pretty cool. So you I can link <laughs> you can link you can link together a series of uh, missions. I don't know how complex it is, to be honest. I haven't actually got into it yet, but I assume that you can tell some kind of little story in there as well um and that's like really a cool. rpg maker oh that's cool yeah that's that's really cool let's let's face it i mean the the ability to play kind of an endlessly expandable uh events wars like game where people are creating entire campaigns is it, it's pretty mind-blowing so i don't think chucklefish can do anything wrong either <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to be yeah. honest they got starbound and stardew valley under their belt yeah, and this game has much the same appeal. It's got that lovely, gorgeous use of um, warm pixels. Is <laughs> the very technical term for it. Um, very, very pretty use of uh, pixel graphics and a great animation. There's great personality through it. You can actually control little war dogs, and they're so cute. Um, and yeah, it, it, the, the production quality of the game is just right up there as, as well. So um definitely check it out if you haven't yet um i imagine most of the people listening to this podcast have already checked it out anyway but yeah have a have a look at it, it it's really really great well, it just um, came out today right i think or... it did just come out today yeah okay just within the last day or so so it's a very new game and um by the time people listen to this podcast it's only four four or five days old but yeah grab it and there's already a couple of campaigns that you can download on there in addition to the story mode so you've already got dozens of hours of contents to enjoy so um yeah more broadly speaking when it comes to tactics strategy games so as opposed to civilization those kind of broad strategy games this is more the, the tactical side of things um are you a fan of them lee Fantastic. I loved Final Fantasy Tactics. That was what got yeah, me into the, into the genre. That was like my first taste of a sort of um, Game of Thrones-like story. And I, I could I could talk at length about it. I mean, it was it was great. It was it's got it's got all the elements. It's got the betrayal, um, the the childhood friend, the. Uh, it, it, people turning into demons of course that's a final fantasy thing of course that's gonna happen but you know it's and, and as far as like this this the character customization and the strategy elements and the grinding which at the time was okay um i was okay with doing that maybe not so much nowadays i don't know how much there is in war groove that you would have to do to say if like you come across an encounter where you like in Final Fantasy Tactics example, you really need a summoner for this one because if you don't AOE all these chocobos down or whatever, they're gonna cast Meteor and, and they're just gonna blow up everything. Um, well, so, I mean, War, War Group doesn't actually have any experience levels. It's not an RPG on any level. It's purely the tactics side of things. So that's why okay. I was kind of comparing it more to, to Advance Wars than I guess um, Fire Emblem or Final Fantasy Tactics because yeah, the 
I, I guess the strategy in the game is about building more units and then using those units in a way that lets you kind of capture the opponent's bases and, and all of that kind of stuff. So it's it's slightly different, I guess, to, to Final Fantasy Tactics or Fire Emblem, which is very similar, and I certainly love those as well. Um, yeah, it's more like war um, army-based than, than single... Yeah unit base, which is still cool. Um, personally, I do prefer like the the having that hero unit, that one, you know, one or two just bad care bad fellas that just you know steamroll. Like Orlando from Final Fantasy Tactics. That, that was that was the that was the man, the Thunder God. Um but I don't I don't know. That's, that's yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. Idea. I mean, the the advantage, I guess, those RPG tactics crossover games have is that you get a sense of character through them because, you know, it's the same character each time, and they've got a name and personality, and they have yeah. the narrative and all that kind of stuff. Whereas with a game like Wargroove, it's more units are dispendable because they don't have names. There is a hero unit on the field each time, uh, and those hero units are kind of what the story revolves around. Uh, and if those either of those units uh gets defeated in the battle that's the end of the level for that person uh, that side so um that's kind of a very it's like a king in chess really that kind of piece the, the really mm -hmm. important important piece but otherwise yes you're right the characters don't have personality they don't level up and there is a certain i i prefer fire emblem i guess to advance wars for that same reason uh, i i liked the sense of character and the progression of those characters through one level to the next yeah, but, it's, a, um, it's like a personal connection yeah yeah exactly exactly but you know that's that's not to say i don't love advanced wars especially when it's like wargroove and it's that that kind of um super bright super charming game as well um i'm definitely gonna have to check this out though it sounds good yeah it, it really is it's it impressed me more than i thought i was already looking forward to it knew i was going to buy it on day one um but yeah, it's impressed me more. As soon as we get off the podcast recording, oh, this is my weekend sorted now. Um, <laughs> Trent, what about you? Are you a fan of these uh, tactics games? And yeah, um, definitely. Like you, you know, I'm down for like Final Fantasy Tactics. Like yes. <laughs> that, that's that's what that's where I'm like into that sort of stuff. Like, but but I sort of like games like that for more stories. Like I really hate tactics games which are just aimlessly doing tactics like I, like I like a little bit more story like for me openings of games are really important like final fantasy tactics that whole snowball fight set the tone for like the characters set the tone for like the game everything after that was great because of that snowball fight like if i was you mean, just... you, you mean final fantasy tactics advance yes i do yes if i was yeah, just I was gonna say <laughs> There's no, I, snowball fight. There's no snowball fight at the start of Final Fantasy Tactics trend. It's a, it's a little bit of a darker start to that game. Yes. <laughs> well, no, the, 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 tactics the, the, uh, the grass flute thing. Anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah, so so if I got just dumped into Deliverance or whatever the town or whatever the universe was called, um, I sort of would have been a little bit more, okay, well, I'm in this new world. That's cool. But I, it would have been harder to sort of explore and pick up the characters and I guess with a snowball fight, it really helped in terms of seeing the tone of that game. So that's why Advance is way better than the original as well. But anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I really like these these sort of games. I've played Advance Wars a bit. I like the um, the dark, like evil Advance Wars, um, like the one where it was like post-apocalyptic, that sort of thing. That was cool. Um, and I played and I played some of the recent Final Fantasy, not Final Fantasy. Um, the other thing, Fire Emblem. Fire Emblem. That's the one. Yes, I played the more recent Fire Emblems. I haven't played anything probably older than the Game Boy Advance games, but I've played the DS games. Really like the DS games. I think I picked up one of the three DS games, but not all of them. But you know, the the new Switch game, I'm excited for that. So that'll be cool. Yeah, it's interesting. I've always wondered why. Um, I've been beyond the. Um, obvious assumption that they sell better why the fire emblem games have become such a priority for um for intelligent systems and why advanced wars has kind of been left to the wayside um i can only assume that people do like their characters to have character <laughs> um and fire emblem kind of resonates with people because of that storytelling side of things rather than just the core tactics action 
but then I look at something like, I don't know, I look at something like XCOM or something, and those games are certainly very popular as well, and there's less of a sense of character to those. Although I guess, say, in saying that, you do certainly get attached to your characters in XCOM from one mission to the next, even though they don't really have a story role because they just become such valuable resources. And when they die, it's That's just the biggest so frustrating. Yeah. Very, very frustrating. It's just so, it drives me nuts when I play XCOM and I spend five or six hours leveling some character up across like a dozen missions. And then they yeah, cause you know, he's next. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's going to get value. caught by, by some, some garbage out of nowhere. Uh, yeah, I, 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 after game. missing after missing an attack, which is like a ninety percent chance of hitting, mm -hmm. and just leaves him out in the open, and then the alien goes and wallops him back, and he's dead, and it's just uh, so frustrating. But anyway, um, that's a bit of a digression. I do like XCOM games as well. Um, I, I really like them, and the Switch has its first one actually as of this week or last week as well. Um, so it's been a good couple of weeks for tactics games on the Switch. The XCOM like that's out on the Switch now is called Akhtum, um Cthulhu Tactics. It's a Lovecraft, uh, Lovecraft meets Nazi World War II shoot the Nazi simulator game, which is great. Uh, well worth looking at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's Cthulhu. It's Lovecraft's monsters teams up with Nazis, and you get to shoot a lot of them, which is a pretty good idea for a game. Let's face it, uh, and it works pretty well. It's it's a good bit of fun as well so yeah good couple of weeks for tactics on the switch and um that's great because i actually think that tactics games work better portable as well um sitting down in front of a screen for a couple of hours is great and all when you get really hooked on them but it's also good to be able to pick them up and play you know one or two missions while you're on a train or or something and need to kill some time so i think the switch is a good fit for the this particular genre and wargroove is proving that too I agree. On that. I'm, I'm glad Thea came out too. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, also Thea. Uh, yeah, Thea's a little bit, I think, beyond. It's a different kind of thing <laughs> to, to a tactics game. But I certainly agree with you that it's um, it's another really great looking game that you should absolutely check out. And it does have tactical elements as well. Um, and yeah, it's, it's really good. Good for the Switch, too. On that note, we'll go to some music and wrap things up, I think. Um, I don't know what music we'll go to. Let's pick something a little bit different in tone. Let's go with... <laughs> Let's go with... Oh, why not? Let's go with something from Fire Emblem, because Fire Emblem has good music. Um, I'm not sure which Fire Emblem, but it's from one of them. Uh, and we'll, uh, If you want to know which one, grab us on social media and we'll tell you once we figured it out. Uh, thanks very much for listening, everybody. And thanks for being on the podcast, Lee and Trent. It's good to have you on as always. And we will be back next week. Thanks very much.